chosen to spend your Sunday morning uh, worshiping with us together. Uh, most of you know the drill, but find the clipboards at the end of the rows. You can fill those out and pass them down. That's a, a way for us to know you're here to care for you. Um, another way that we love uh, to care for you throughout the week is just to pray for you by name specifically. And so uh, if you've got something specific that you'd like prayer for, you can write that on a prayer card. Uh, those are behind the sign-in sheets. And just you can hand those to one of the pastors after the service, or you can drop it in the box uh, on the back table on your way out. We'll get, th- we'll get it that way. Um, that is the offering and gifts box. Uh, so most of you know that that's there. But if, you're new- if you've come prepared to worship with something uh, physical to drop off, um, you can drop it in that box on your way out. Uh, really not much to announce this morning, but one kind of fun thing that we're doing, uh, especially for families, a really fun way uh, to just uh, get outside uh, while the weather is really nice, um, is uh, something called Kindness Rock. Some of you know this is a, this is a thing. Uh, I didn't know this was a thing until we started uh, talking about it. Uh, Laura brought it up. It's a really fun way to sort of spread kindness around the city. So you paint you paint a rock. We've actually got everything set up in there. So after the service, between services, you can go in there and do this. Uh, you paint a rock. You write a, a nice message on it. So this one just says love. Uh, then then you uh, write hashtag Shawnee Kindness Rocks, and you go you go hide it somewhere in Shawnee. Take a picture and then hashtag it on Instagram or Facebook, wherever you hashtag things. Those of you who hashtag things. Uh, and uh, then people can find it. It, in some magical way, directs people to our website, which is kind of fun. Uh, our director of uh, communications will do that. Uh, but this is a really fun way to uh, do something together as a family. So between services, you can go, if you love paint, uh, if you love rocks, I don't know, uh, go in there at, between services. Uh, it would be a fun, fun thing to do as your family. Uh, that's, that's it. Uh, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to continue to worship uh, this morning through the hearing and the reading of God's word. So uh, thanks, Barb. Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning will be taken from Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever." Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This isn't a part of my sermon, so I'm going to throw the kindness rock on the ground. Uh, well, it's good to see you this morning. My name is, is Tim, and I, I, I could serve as, as one of the pastors here, and we're, we're glad to have you with us on this morning. Although, it kind of just feels like there's just like a, this is a sleepy morning, at least I feel that way. 
I don't know if you felt that way. I tried to kick it into second gear this morning after my first cup of coffee, and I'm, I'm still waiting to get into second gear. Uh, I'm, still, I'm still rolling in first. And then the projector demons are out this morning. And I think that's the one thing, like the one prayer God never answers is like save this projector from weird flashing. So that God doesn't hear those prayers, so we don't pray them anymore. Um, just kidding. That's, that's sarcasm. <laughs> Sleepiness. Feels like I may get fired this morning if I say something. So just uh, we're just going to pretend that, that I didn't say that. Um, but with that, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to, to Jeremiah. Uh, we'll be in Jeremiah 7, the passage Barbara just read um, for us. If you're a, a kid and you didn't grab one of our Kids Connects, feel free to grab, get up grab one of those um, um, right now. And as a reminder, one of the kind of primary ways we're calling uh, people to response through this sermon series is through prayer. And so once the sermon is over and we move into the time of communion, we're going to have space for you to be prayed for. So if there's anything as you hear, as you think, as you process this morning, or things you're carrying in with you this morning that you want to be prayed for, just know that's going to be available um, to you afterwards. So with that, uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump into Jeremiah 7. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, hearing Jeremiah's sermon, which was preached right outside a temple as people walked in to go and, and have a normal worship experience, God, I can't, I can't help but think of what, what would Jeremiah say to us as we walk in to worship this morning? What would, what would be his words for us? And so, God, we've come in to, to worship and to meet with you and to, to hear from you, and, and that's what we want. We want to hear from you. And so, God, would you speak and reveal yourself to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how can people enter into to worship? Uh, sing songs, pray prayers, open the, the Bible, gather with the community of God. And it make absolutely no difference in their life. Where their life would have been no different had they not just slept in, not come. How does that happen? Because we all, we all know it happens. We all, we all have stories. Stories where in one moment someone is singing about the grace of God and in the next they ruthlessly judge everyone around them. Stories where in one moment the kindness of God is claimed for one's self, but in the next moment, vicious anger. Stories where in, in one moment there's, there's humility in worship, and on the drive home, ugly pride. How does that happen? Empty, pointless worship. How does that happen? And for some people, that, that's why they think religion is, is empty. That if God was more evidenced in his people, then, then maybe you could believe in him or maybe you could be a, a Christian. And I understand that point of view. I've been tempted to it myself. But one of the reasons why I keep coming back to the Christian faith is because the, the most strong condemnation of religious hypocrisy anywhere is in the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures. You won't find it anywhere else like this. The person most angry with God, most I left the church because I'm tired of religious people, they don't come close to what God has to say to people with empty religion. Empty worship that doesn't change anything or anyone. And so how does that happen? And unless we're, we're being naive, the question we're asking here is not, not why, do, why do other people do that so much? But if we're honest with ourselves, the question is, how, how do I prevent that from being me? How will hypocrisy reveal itself in me? How, how will I not be the person with empty worship? 
And that's what Jeremiah 7 is, is all about. It's about people who went to temple, and people who worshipped God, who sang the songs, who prayed the prayers, who were in the right place, sang the right things, and who are all wrong. And so God tells Jeremiah to go and sit at the, the walls of the temple and preach at these people. And Jeremiah 7 is the sermon he preached. And we need to listen to that sermon. And as we listen to that, that sermon, I want to say, say four things from it. If, if your worship, if my worship is not to be empty and pointless, where our lives would be no different had we slept in this morning than the fact that we're here. If that's going to be true for us, we're going to have meaningfully deep worship. Four things we have to see. One is we have to see we never, we never actually stop worshiping. Two, we need a confrontation with God. Three, we need to take the full medicine. And four, we have to come to the temple. Four points. Point one, jump in. Uh, first, we, we never actually stop worshiping. And, and, and as I, I sort of alluded to a second ago, Jeremiah 7 connects really well with our current cultural context. This, this real frustration with empty religion, religious people who say one thing and then do Another, and maybe that's even why you're skeptical of religion or why you're not a Christian, or maybe that's why you don't come to church that much, if at all, that, that you just look at empty religion and say, I don't, I don't want any part of that. And that's, of course, that's what Jeremiah is getting at here in Jeremiah 7. That's what he's preaching against. But if your response to, to hypocrisy in religion or, or, or empty worship is to remove yourself, I don't think that works, and it doesn't work because of, of the central thing Jeremiah is saying here, which is in verse 3. That If you had to summarize Jeremiah's entire sermon into one thing, it's verse 3. Here's what he says. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. In that verse, there's a central threat and there's a central command. The central threat is that if you don't, if you don't change the way that your life is lived out, God says, you can't live with me. You can't just walk into my house, live how you want, and then come over to my place, to my temple, to my house, and, and, and think that we're, we're okay. You can't do that. And so the central command then is, is for Israel, for these people, these worshipers, to amend their ways and their deeds. In other words, God doesn't see worship or life as something that just happens in the temple. It's, it's your ways and your deeds. It's your entire life. We never stop worshiping. But often we don't think that way, and that, that's, our, that's our problem. That often when we think of religion, we think of what, what we are doing right now. We think of the church, we think of uh, the Bible, the prayer, uh, prayers, songs, worship. That we think of religion as something on the side, something we do occasionally. But what if worship, what if religion was more than that? What if the single most determining factor in your life is your religion? What if religion is, is just as much people dressing up in matching colors and going to a giant stadium and lifting their hands in unison? That's just as much religion as a Catholic going into the confessional booth. What if religion, worship, is just as much your weeknight frantic drive, all of your, uh, drive of all of your children to all of their different activities? What if that's just as much your religion as a Muslim man reciting the Quran? What if your religion is just as much what you bought this week, what's on your credit card statement, as it is what you sang just a few minutes ago? That we all are religious. Whether you believe in God, you have a, a, an organized religion you're a part of, or you don't. We are all religious, and we are all worshiping 
all the time. Which is why when Jeremiah comes to speak to these religious people, his central message to them is not, you need better prayers, or you need better songs, you need better, you need better worship. No, what he says is you need to amend your ways and your deeds. Your Monday to Saturday life is broken. So Jeremiah's sermon, it's, it's forcing us into a, a question, and it's not just a question for religious people. It's a question for all of us. And the question is this, is who is your worship making you like? And if, you're, if you're someone who's tired of religious hypocrisy, if you don't believe in God, um, then at the very least you have to acknowledge that you and God, you and Jesus have something in common, if, if God exists, right? He hates religious hypocrisy more than than you do, but that, that doesn't mean that, that if you're not religious, you're not, or you're not a part of an organized religious, you're not, you're not worshiping, or you're not practicing religion. It doesn't mean that you don't have your own temples, your own practices that are forming you into a certain kind of person that leads you to be generous or not, that leads you to treat other people in certain ways or, or not. And the question that Jeremiah 7 forces us to ask is, what kind of person are we becoming, and how is our worship making us into that person? And so Christians, those of us who say we believe in the God of the Bible, who is your worship making you like? Because either my worship is, is conforming me to be like the God of the universe, or I'm, my worship is making me like everybody else. My worship is encouraging me to live like everybody else, to buy what everybody else buys, to schedule my calendar the way everyone else schedules their calendar. Now, either my life is a lifeless copy of this world, or my worship is conforming me to the image of the Creator God. Which is it? That when your worship takes you out of, out of this space, out of the church, and into your week, who is your worship making you like? God or everybody else? That's what Jeremiah is getting at here. Is you're, you are just like the rest of the world. You're just as unjust. You're just as sinful. You're just as broken. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping something else. And our worship is endless. We, your worship will not stop at the benediction this morning. It will continue on into your week. So first, we, if you're not going to be someone whose worship is empty and vain, pointless, you have to understand your worship isn't just for this hour. It's your entire life. But second, uh, if you don't want your worship to be, entry, uh, to be empty, you need to understand that what we as human beings need is a confrontation with God. And I realize that sounds ominous, right? And it's like we're about to get heavy here. And we kind of are. Um, but hear me out uh, for a second. This sermon Jeremiah preaches, it most likely comes at a later point in, in his life. And we know that because of Jeremiah 26, which is most likely a, another reflection on this sermon. And in Jeremiah 26, we're told that Jeremiah preached this sermon in the first year of the reign of Jehoiakim. And here's why that's important. Jeremiah was born, became a prophet um, in the reign of a king called Josiah. And when Josiah became king, Israel's religion was, was really awful, was terrible. The people thought adultery, sleeping around, sleeping with prostitutes in particular, was an acceptable way to actually worship God and get God to do what you wanted for, for yourself. It, religion in, in Josiah's day was so bad that actually Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, had sacrificed one of his own children to a false God as an active worship. Everything was a mess. And Josiah, when he became king, wanted to change all of this, wanted to call people back to right worship. And so he began to tear down false temples, false idols, false places of worship, and attempted to, to restore the temple itself back to the worship that God had designed it to be, to be originally. And so everything, everything's broken and messed up. And Josiah had some success in reforming people back 
to the ways of God. But here in Jeremiah 7, Josiah has now died and his son Jehoiakim is in charge. And this is a crucial moment because the nation is at a crossroads and they're, they're asking the question, they're, they're reflecting on whether or not they're going to continue down the road Josiah started them on, the, the, the true deep and reverent worship of the living God, or will they go back to Manasseh, back to where they had been? Will they forsake God? Will they go off and worship how they want? So this is the moment Jeremiah is preaching in. He's trying to continue the reform Josiah started. And so what does Jeremiah preach to them? Well, I mentioned one thing already, which is this concern of you have to amend Monday to Saturday if you're going to come into my house. Well, his central concern for Israel is, is a word he, a phrase he uses twice here, which is it's translated in the ESV, deceptive words. I like the way the message translates it. It's the big lie. I'm going to summarize some of Jeremiah's sermon here, pulling this theme together of the, these people who are, are fallen or, or are, are persuaded by deceptive words. Listen to Jeremiah's sermon. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, then I will let you dwell in this place. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after God's that you have not known. All of that, that rant, that sermon, is about people who are deceived by a lie. That ultimately there are two, two ways you or I can enter into worship. The, most of us came into this room in one of two frames of mind. Way one is, is we entered into this space to have God confirm what we already believed. To have God confirm our preconceived notions. To have my opinions get baptized by God. To have my ways of looking at the world get projected on to God. I come into this place, I confront God, and I change God. That's one way of worshiping. And in Jeremiah's day, you had lots of people selling deception. And if you were here last week, you remember the, the primary message Jeremiah was given to share with his people throughout his life was that Jerusalem, the city that everyone loved and lived in, was going to be destroyed. It was going to be taken out. And what happened when Jeremiah began to preach that was a lot of prophets began to come up and say, that's not going to happen. Jerusalem's fine. We have the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple. That's why that repetition is there. God has promised his temple is going to last forever. Therefore, Jerusalem will never be destroyed. Jeremiah is a false prophet. We are safe. Keep going about your business, going about your life. Everything is okay. And before we judge them, let's just, let's be real. In our own day, our own culture, with the plethora of books and podcasts and Christian celebrity conference speakers, there is a person willing to sell you any piece of God you want to buy. If you want to believe something about God, there is someone somewhere who is willing to sell it to you. And so don't be gullible, Jeremiah says. Do not fall for deception. So one way to enter into worship is to come in and to conform God to your image, your opinions, your preconceived notions. The other way is to come in and to be changed. And to understand that the nature of what worship is, is God is confronting us. 
God is changing us. God has preconceived notions that we need to enter into. God needs to change my ways of looking at the world to fit into his ways of looking at the world. And what I find so interesting about Jeremiah 7 is that the, the primary ways the people of God were deceived in Jeremiah are the primary ways God's people are deceived today. In 3,000 years, not a whole lot has changed. And there's two primary uh, themes Jeremiah hits at. There, there's a lot here, um, obviously, we could push into the sins Israel has entered into, but there's two primary themes that are today, continually, still the two primary themes. If you go into a church, a church is, is going to tend to lean into one and reject the other, or lean into one and reject the other. So two, the two ways the churches are still deceived. First, verse 5, where Jeremiah starts his sermon. He says, says, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, better translation might be the immigrants, then I will let you dwell in this place. The first way God's people are deceived and have been deceived for thousands of years is we do not think justice is connected to the ways of God. That we don't think how we treat those who are different from us, the sojourner, those who are in our land, who are vulnerable, the fatherless, the widow, those who are, are economically poor or marginalized, that those, those folks, that that part of the, the universe is irrelevant to the gospel. There are lots of churches. You can go and they will preach that. But Jeremiah comes into the temple and says to the people while they worship, God does not have any interest in your songs or your prayers because you are deceived. You don't really know what God thinks about justice, about the foreigner. God has no interest because you, in you because you have no interest in him. Because if you did have interest in God, you would treat the sojourner different. You would treat the poor differently. You would treat those who are different from you differently. And now that, that half of us are offended in the room, let me offend the other half. Because the next place uh, uh, Jeremiah goes is the other place that a lot of churches today do not preach this. Verse 7, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, make offerings to Baal? And in these verses, both in, in the idolatry to the worship of Baal as well as adultery, Jeremiah is going after uh, sexual sins in particular. And so the worship of Baal included uh, prostitutes, all kinds of sexual sin. Uh, he calls out adultery specifically uh, here. And so, so the reality is when I read, when I read this sermon, it's so fascinating to me. Nothing uh, in about 3,000 years, which is when Jeremiah had preached this, nothing's changed. That Jeremiah could walk into about a great number of churches today and preach on justice, and people would say no. Or he, would, he could come in and preach on uh, sexual purity and a biblical view of sexuality, and people would say no. And Jeremiah would look at all of us and say, behold, you trust in deceptive words. And so a question I, I want us to reflect on because I'm not going to pretend like either of those things have really easy answers. And I think a lot of times the conflict comes when people just try to prescribe really easy answers to either justice or human sexuality, how the church interacts with that. So I, get, I understand that. But the question I think I, I want to pull back now that we've done some confrontational work. And I, listen, in my own heart has done that work this week. The question I want to ask is where, where is God changing you? And can God contradict you? Where, where does your life look differently now because of your worship than, than what it used to look like? What do you believe that you would never have believed without him? 
the empty worship, bad worship, worship, bad religion, it, just, it comes in to have God baptize our ideas, our opinions, our ways of looking at the world. And, and the danger is there will always be a prophet willing to sell you that God. And I would say in our day, in our culture, he may even have the title pastor. <laughs> may even have a church, a large church attached. It's why we need to walk into worship and understand we are here to let God change us, to let God confront us, to let us encounter something about God that we may initially think isn't true. And rather than get angry and push it aside, we hear it and we receive it and we, we take it in. We listen. That if we don't want to be empty worshipers, we, we have to listen. We have to let God confront us. And, and let's take this from someone who's tried to be a Christian for, for a long time. Uh, God is going to confront you. And if he never has, like if there's never been a moment in your life where God has significantly altered your way of thinking, your way of life, your way of living, your worship has probably been empty. So we need to let God confront us. Thirdly, uh, we need to take the full medicine. Uh, with uh, apologies to all the doctors um, in the room, uh, just about any time I've ever been given, uh, given an antibiotic um, and I'm told clearly uh, you have to take the entire bottle, right? You take all the dosage all the way, not just when you start feeling better. Um, I, I almost never finish the entire antibiotic of, of a bottle because once I start feeling better, I forget I need the medicine, right? I, it's, it's off somewhere. I don't think about it. I took, the alarm goes off on my phone. I just get lazy because I feel fine. I don't need medicine anymore, right? When my body hurts, then I take medicine. When it's fine, it's, it's okay. So, the reality is I can approach God like that, right? When things are off, when I'm sick, when I'm broken, well, then I go to worship. Then I go to pray. Then I'm taking the medicine. I'm paying attention. I'm entering in. But once I feel better, I, I cast it aside. I'm out. It's back to life as usual. And Jeremiah uh, has something to say to us when we do that to God. It's in verse 11. It's a question. It's where Barbara ended our reading this morning. Has this house, Jeremiah asks, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Jeremiah compares the temple and the way people are treating it to a den of robbers. And I've heard that phrase before, but in my ignorance, I've never understood kind of fully what it's saying until, until now. So think of it like this. When thieves and robbers go out, do their thieving, their robbing, they go out, they steal, they break in, they kind of live how they want. And then when, th when, when things get, get, get in trouble, they have to go and find a hiding place, right? They've got to take all their goods, they've got to find a place to hide out, find some safety, security, get their wits together. And then once the coast is clear, they go back out to go rob and steal and thieve even more. And what Jeremiah is saying to these people is, you are treating God like this. When you need protection and when you need safety and when you need something... Then you're all about God, and you're all about the temple, and you're all about worship. But once the coast is clear, you go back to living however it is that you want. And thinking about that, it's led me to a question I want to spend some time reflecting on uh, this morning, which is, is this. Is do, I, do I, do you, do we want saved from something or to someone? And there's a difference between being saved from something and so saved to um, so uh, someone, that when, when you're trying to be saved some, from something, uh, what often happens is worship only becomes about getting something 
from, from God. So in Jeremiah 7, it's about, it's about getting safety. That if you remember, the context of Jeremiah is that there's, there are powerful nations to the north that are going to invade and, and overcome Jerusalem. And so they are, their lives are at stake. Like literally, their lives are in danger, physical danger. And so what they think is if they can continue to worship at the temple, because God has made certain promises about a king and Israel lasting forever, um, um, because he's made promises about that, then if they keep worshiping at the temple, everything's okay. They'll be safe. There will be no physical danger. And so they're not really going to the temple to meet with God. They're going to the temple to avoid war. And the reality is we, you and I can do the same thing to God, where we come into worship, not, not to be with God, but to get something from him. Maybe it's safety or security, what, what Jerusalem wants here. It's comfort or it's ease. It's, it's money, it's power, it's, it's something in your life ahead of you that you want to get, that you're not sure. So you come and you worship and you're serious, you're devout, and it's like, God, let's give this to me, God. It's the right thing. We, we worship to get something or we worship to be saved from something. And there, the big problem with, with that way of coming to God is he's going to massively disappoint you. Because if you, listen, read the Bible for a couple minutes and you'll find God is really bad at giving you things you want. He just is. God almost never makes things easy. That's a part of the whole point of this series, actually, of Jeremiah, is, is that if, if what you want in life is an easier, better, successful life, then listen, God, worshiping God does not make a lot of sense. He's going to make your life more difficult. Most, I mean, Jesus was actually pretty explicit on this point. He says, if you follow me, you're going, to be, you're going to be treated like I was treated. And I was persecuted, and I was called names, and I was rejected. If you follow me, you're going to experience those same Things And yet often, one of, some of the most deceptive things that are preached and sold in our context, in the United States culture, is if you follow Jesus, things get easier. And the reality is that they don't. And if you worship God, if you come to God to get something from him, you're going to be disappointed. This series ultimately is about what a life of salvation looks like, a life that is not about being saved from something, but saved to someone, to a life with God. That we've let, we push into this metaphor that's in Jeremiah 12 many times. That the life of salvation is a life of running with horses. It's a life that you could not live on your own. A task, an existence that you could not muster in your own strength. And to illustrate this, I, I ran uh, my first uh, 5K about, about two or three weeks ago, uh, which sounds far less impressive. Maybe it doesn't sound impressive to you, but it sounds far less impressive than it actually was. I just ran 3.1 miles. And, uh, and I, I was pretty proud of my time. I was right at about um, um, eight minutes a mile, only because I had never run longer than two miles in my entire life. Um, so eight, miles, eight, uh, eight mi uh, minutes a mile is really good for me. Um, if you're judging me, I don't care. Uh, I don't, don't, I don't want to talk to you um, after the sermon. Um, but eight minutes a mile is really good. That's about seven miles an hour, which uh, to me sounds impressive. I ran seven miles an hour for about 20, 24 minutes. Um, but a horse runs about, about 30 miles an hour. And I have to say, when I was running my seven miles an hour in better shape, feeling good, I felt like I was swift and light. You know, maybe not mile three, but like mile one, it was like it was feeling good. We were moving. Seven miles, it felt great. But 30 miles an hour, I have no, I have no, no thought of what that would be like. I will never get there. No matter how much uh, healthy food I eat, no matter how much I train, I will never run like that. And a part of what we're trying to say in this series is a life of salvation is a life of becoming someone or something you could never be on your own. The salvation, God's redemption, the life he offers you is a life that you cannot live on your own. And the reality is we are not ready for that. 
We have to take a lot of medicine before we are going to be ready for that kind of, of life. Just like when I, I got married, um, I knew I was not ready to be around a woman 24-7, right? And a woman was not ready to be around me 24-7. I had to clean up a lot of stuff before I was going to let this be around anybody 24-7. And if, if you and I, if we're going to be ready to enter into a life with God, a life of salvation... If you want to be saved for a life that you could never live on your own, if you want to run with horses, you are going to have to take medicine that hurts. You're going to have to want a life with God, not just being saved from something. You're going to have to reject what Diedrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. This is how he wrote and how reflected on this idea. Bonhoeffer writes, cheap grace is the, is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. The, the salvation life includes repentance and discipline and confession. Grace does not disclude those things. Those things are grace's medicine, and we need to take it. To let God confront us, to let God, move us into a space of repentance, to come into worship and confess. That we don't come into worship as, as a hideout, to try to get a little something from God before we go back out and live however it is we want to live Monday to Saturday. That does not work. God wants to save us for more than that. And maybe you hear that and think, well, okay, does that mean I have to earn God's grace? Right? Grace sounds really hard. Here. And even God says, like in, in verse 7, to his people, if you don't start living differently, you're not going to live with me. And so where's the grace? Do we have to earn this? It's a great question, and it's point four, um, which is, if, if you don't want to be someone who, who is full of empty worship, who's not a hypocrite, the last, the last piece to full, deep, reverent worship before God is you need to come to the temple. And when you think about the temple, Jeremiah 7, the temple's an amazing Thing. God creates this place and he invites people to come and to dwell with him, to be with him, to know him. And actually right now, I don't know if you know this, you are right now in a temple. In the book of Ephesus, a man named Paul, when he's writing to a, a local church, when he's writing to a church meeting in a city called Ephesus, he says to them that the whole church is built around Jesus. And in Jesus, the whole structure, the church being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you, the church, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I love these verses even more now because when you read Acts, we know that the Ephesus church, um, two things was true about the Ephesus church. One is the, the city of Ephesus itself had amazing temples in it. I mean, it was one of the best cities for temples in the world. So I can imagine, you know, Ephesus campus pastor walking around saying, God, can we get a temple building like that? Like, can we worship in a place like that instead of where they worshiped, which we know was in a public hall they rented? You read this in Acts. They rented a public hall. And what Paul says to them is, you know, all those temples you walked by, those things are empty. There's nothing in them. You, renting some public space, people gathered. You are the temple and presence of God. The local church. And if you don't want to be, to be a vain, empty worshiper, you need to build your life around Worshiping with the local church. And maybe you hear that and think, wait a minute. 
Isn't that the problem? People going to the temple, worshiping falsely. How does making worship with God's people a priority help vain, empty worship when people gathering with God's people are worshiping in empty, vain ways? And I get it. In fact, I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it, which is, is standing in a church singing a hymn does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a barn neighing like a horse makes you a horse. It's true. And that's the warning of, of Jeremiah 7. You can come in here, you can worship, you can be a part of the temple, and you cannot let God confront you. You can go out and live your life this week however it is that you want to live your life. You can, you can enter the temple and never encounter God. But the problem in Jeremiah 7 is not the temple. It's the people. And there are two ways to engage in empty worship. One is to enter in the temple with no interest in meeting with God. No interest in being saved by God. That's Jeremiah 7. That's the sermon. And in some ways that is relevant to us, But the other way to be an empty worshiper is to infrequently come to the temple. Where we treat the temple like an indifferent part to our own life, to our own faith. Where the temple is, is how I, where we treat the temple how I treat antibiotics, which is I take it when I know I need it. And other than that, it's forgotten. And so if you want to move past empty worship, you need the temple. Because two things are always happening here. One is we are always being confronted in our sin. To go back to where Jeremiah started, I, I've been confronted in, in my own sin in the local church throughout my life in ways that I, I will never be confronted when I'm alone. When I read my Bible, God and I agree almost 90% of the time, like maybe 99% of the time. We're on the same page. When I confront, when I'm with other Christians, that's when I begin to find my own, my own brokenness, my own sin, and so one, in this place, there's always the opportunity to be confronted by God in your own brokenness. But second, the other thing that happens here every week is we are invited back to the table for more grace, for more medicine, for salvation. And the reason the church, we can always do those two things is because this is not the only sermon a prophet preached about the temple in Jerusalem. That after this temple Jeremiah is preaching at was torn down, like Jeremiah said it was going to be torn down, another temple replaced it. And a few hundred years after uh, Jeremiah went and preached his sermon at the temple, Jesus arrived at the temple and preached his sermon and preached the same sermon Jeremiah preached. You have made this temple into a den of robbers, Jesus said. And just like Jeremiah, people came up to Jesus ready to kill him. And they asked Jesus, what right do you have to say this about the temple? And Jesus responded to them by saying, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And they're all, all confused, because in that day, it took decades to build giant buildings. But Jesus wasn't talking about some building. He was talking about himself. He is the temple. He is the place now designed for you and I to go and meet with God. He is why we, this church, is not some random group of people gathering in a meeting uh, in a middle school, but we are the meeting place, the dwelling place for God. And the way Jesus solves this tension at the center of Jeremiah 7, this tension which says, how can God come and live with his people who are so broken and so flawed and such empty worshipers? How God can how can God come and live with us, how can God come and destroy my own religious hypocrisy, my own empty worship? Is because Jesus, unlike Jeremiah, actually does die because of this sermon. 
He goes to the cross and he takes my judgment and my sin. He dies for me in order to save me. So that now you and I, we can go to him. A true temple. Worship at his nail-scarred feet. And be changed. Let's pray. God, I confess this is, a, this is a weird sermon to preach because Jeremiah was a true prophet, whereas as I am not. And I am a part of the brokenness and empty worship as much as anyone in this room. And so, God, the one, the one thing I hope we all, as we move into a time of communion, we all move into is a space of meeting with and knowing you. God, if we came here just to, to get some things from you, to have you relieve some pressure or to to help us with some fear. God, we know you want to do that, but you want to do more than that. You want to save us. You want, to, you want us to enter into a life with you. And God, we're so resistant to that. We want less. And so would you forgive us for wanting less? And would you help enable us into a space where we want more? We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned a second